Hello and welcome to episode number 485 of Holy Crap Hit Sports for a Friday, September 16th, 2022. A lovely day at the Sandy Springs Podcast Center and Laundromat. Hope everybody's have a really good week and uh, pretty much over the whole COVID thing at this point for several days now, but the doc said I shouldn't be able to get out wandering around till probably tomorrow. So tomorrow I'm going to McDonald's. But anyway, mainly sit around and watch football all weekend because that's what I've been doing most of this week. Anyway, so I hope everybody's had a really good week, and we should be back to normal schedule next week, uh, three shows and all that stuff, so good stuff hopefully coming for you next week. If you want to uh, get a t-shirt, drink up Shriners, or Holy Crap at Sports, just go to farmhouseprintingco.com. If you'd like to be a patron of this uh, lovely show, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, look up Holy Crap at Sports, and if you want me to write me a letter, PeteDavis1 at yahoo.com, and uh, follow me on Twitter, PeteDavis1. So now that we've got the minutes of the show out of the way let's get to it the headlines for friday september 16th of 2022 once again appreciate all the uh, thoughts kind letters and everything sent my way on the prayers and whatever thank you very much they've helped a lot the braves begin a homestand a big one tonight and ozzy is back Uh, College football news, Georgia and Tennessee have to change plans about playing Oklahoma, and we now know how far Texas went to get Arch Manning. You're not going to believe what they did. Uh, The Vols re-up their coach. There may be hope for the NCAA after all. Uh, The Falcons lose a player to the Seahawks. Tennis loses one of its greatest stars. Greg Norman would have made a good general. Nasty accusations of cheating at a chess tournament. And female rugby player has paid a small price for laughing at the queen's death. Of course, uh, she has her defenders because, you know, she's special. But anyway, we got that. We got Pete's tweets this day in uh, sports history. Birthdays you share with these reprobates. So let's get to it, shall we? Braves back home after a so-so and long Western road trip. Amazingly, only one game back of the Mets as the Phillies enter Truist Park tonight. The Metropolitans should have made more hay on this, but they didn't. Uh, the Braves look cold and tired at the end of the trip out in the Bay Area. So it's going to be good to get some grits back in their system. It'll also be good to see Ozzy Albies back in the lineup. He's fine. Finally back after 60 days plus. To make room, they gingerly placed Harry Adrianza on the 10-day IL. He's got a strained quad and DFA'd righty reliever Jay Jackson, which that's a great name. Jay Jackson should be an overnight DJ at Quixie. Uh, the SEC has directed Georgia and Tennessee to postpone scheduled games with Oklahoma because the Sooners are on their way, of course, to the SEC. Uh, The reasoning is the second game in each series was to take place... Oh, sorry. What are we doing here? Uh, Nah, it's not news. I'll turn the phone off. Sorry. Uh, The second uh, game in each of that series was to take place after the Sooners joined the conference in 2025. So that led the Southeastern Conference to uh, stop Georgia's game at Oklahoma next season and Oklahoma's game against Tennessee and at Tennessee in 2024. Uh, UGA scheduled to go to Oklahoma in 2031, and the makeup of the 2020 game with Tennessee that was scheduled for Norman had not yet set a makeup date. But since it was expected to be after 25, the SEC decided to wipe away both series. Uh, 
An early departure would be subject to both a significant exit fee, expected to be roughly $80 million, and the violation of a grant of rights agreement, which is why both schools in the conference have been cautious in addressing a potential early departure. Both Oklahoma and Georgia have filled the September 9th spot in their schedules already. Oklahoma says it will play Southern Methodist on that day and play a return game in Dallas in 2027. Georgia filled the scheduling hole on September 9th of next season with a game against Ball State, the Midwestern power of Ball State. <laughs> what are we drinking today? More Gatorade and Pedialyte? No, sir. Let's go to the, um, let's just drink a, what are we drinking here? What the hell is this? Line and Kugel. Let's go for the Line and Kugel. Speaking of Midwest powerhouses, uh, Josh Heupel, the Tennessee head football coach, has gotten a $1 million raise, is now a $5 million man. It's according to VolQuest. The Vols, are, of course, 7-6 and six last season. They're 2-0 and oh, uh, entering this week's game against the Zips. The head coach's amended contract runs through January 31st of 2028 with a guaranteed salary of $5 million annually, and he deserves it so far. Meanwhile, Max Johnson, the LSU transfer quarterback, who I believe is nearing 40 years old now, named the starting quarterback for Texas A&M this weekend, replacing Haynes King. And, of course, a big game. They're playing the Hurricanes. And I'm telling you right now, as they said on Saturday Down South, if uh, A&M loses, Jimbo Fisher's not going to be fired. But, boy, oh, boy, is there going to start being a lot of talk about it because the Hurricanes are re, you know, on the way back up under Mario Cristobal. They should not be on the same level as A&M right now. So we'll see. A Freedom of Information request has revealed that the University of Texas pulled out a lot of the stops to recruit Arch Manning, the high schooler, out of New Orleans. Among the details they spent on the Manning family, a five-star hotel, an upscale steakhouse, a cruise on a lake, custom cakes, an ice sculpture. They didn't say what the ice sculpture was of. Uh, a weekend at Top Golf, and an open bar for the parents, Cooper and the mama. An open bar. It was a 48-hour trip to Austin. The entire weekend in mid-June cost Texas nearly two hundred and eighty thousand dollars. It was paid out of the school's substantial recruiting budget. I'm telling you, they have all the money in the world there. No word on if they got free rides on Bevo or maybe they got to eat Bevo. I don't know what, what went on there, but that's one of the reasons they got Arch. They pulled out the stops. The NCAA may have a new lease on life after all. An overwhelming majority of Division I athletic directors at the annual Fall Lead One meeting on Wednesday expressed a strong preference to keep FBS football under the NCAA if... If it can, if you prove and abide by the rules of decent society, no. if it can be streamlined and less bureaucratic. Well, good luck with that. Tom McMillan, uh, I don't think that's the former Hawks player, a CEO and president of the organization representing the 131 ADs of the FBS, said there were a total of 105 ADs who participated in the closed door discussions. And that by a show of hands, it was clear that they prefer the NCAA continues its oversight of the most popular sport in college athletics. That's kind of a surprise. He said, rarely do we have such consensus on an issue. It was doubly reaffirmed today that the status quo was not acceptable and that there was a strong, very strong preference for a model in the NCAA that is extremely streamlined and much less bureaucratic. Of course, the rule book is bigger than two football fields. FBS football currently the only collegiate sport that is governed by the NCAA, but runs its own national championship through the college football playoff. 
The NCAA deals with issues such as rules, officiating, concussion litigation, and enforcement, but does not receive any money from the CFP. The idea of separating FBS football from the NCAA began back in December of 2020 when the Knight Commission on Intercollegiate Athletics, or CHA, proposed it. But it looks like they want to keep the NCAA around. Chris Wright of Saturday Down South has a great story about the winningest coaches in each SEC team's history and how close the current coach is to passing them. And with Bear Bryant and Nick Saban, it's a lot closer than you might think. Let me take a sip of that. What the hell were we drinking today? What did I just say we were drinking? I don't know. God, I can't, can't, no, yeah, Line and Kugel. Boy, that's, that's you, know, I, you know, it affects the memory, doesn't it? What? Uh, Mark Stoops supplanted uh, the Bears, Kentucky's winningest football coach, last Saturday night in the Swamp. He has 61 wins and counting. He and Bryant are the only coaches in Kentucky's history with more than 50 wins in football. Now, his accomplishment led to the natural question, who's next? Is there another active SEC coach who is a viable threat to become his school's all-time wins leader? Well, let's look around the league. Of course, at Alabama, the leaders Bear Bryant had just 232 wins. You'd think he had more, but of course he was at Texas A&M, he was at Maryland, he was at uh, Kentucky, so he's got over 300, but not all at Alabama. Nick Saban has 185 wins. Folks, that's only 49 behind. So he averages 10 a year if he coaches five more years. He's going to have more than 10 a year. You know that. It's, so he can probably do it in four years. Huh. Only a matter of time if he stays there. Uh, Saban has won 12 or more games 11 times at Bama. He's no more than five seasons away. Hell, I think it's four. Could be there by the end of the 25 season. <laughs> Hopefully it'd be at the Iron Bowl at Jordan-Hare Stadium to do it. That would be funny. Okay, Arkansas. Let's see what there's going on with them. The leader, of course, is the legendary Frank Broyles from right here in Decatur, Georgia. 144 wins for the Razorbacks. Right now, Sam Pittman has 14. <laughs> He's only 130 behind. Uh, it's not realistic, though. Uh, Pittman's not a young man, but he's not old either, but he's probably not going to be around as long as Broyles was there in uh, Fayetteville. Uh, he says it's his dream job. He's probably not going anywhere else. He'd need to average nine wins for 15 years to pass Broyles. Auburn, the leader, Ralph Shug Jordan, 175 wins. Right now, Brian Harrison has eight. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan's record could be 17 wins, and Harson probably would not get there. Because <laughs> that's not a shot at Harson. Mm-hmm. But rather the quirky culture on the plains that chews up coaches faster than Oregon designs uniform combos. Uh, Florida, the Spurrier, uh, Steve Spurrier is the leader, 122 wins. Right now, Billy Napier has won. Only five coaches in Florida history have reached 50. Spurrier's record is beyond safe. Not 50 years old, just 50 wins. Georgia, Vince Dooley, 201 wins. Right now, Kirby Smart has 68. Smart is already fourth on the career wins list in Athens. He'll stay there for a while. Wallace Budd is number three with 140. Mark Richt is second all-time with 145. Uh, if Smart stays in Athens another 10-plus years, he's only 133 wins for matching Dooley. So, he could do it. LSU. If, if Kirby Smart doesn't go pro, I think that's the only way he leaves Georgia. Uh, why else would he go somewhere in college? That wouldn't make any sense. LSU, the leader is Charles McClendon with 135 wins. He was around when I was a kid. Uh, Brian Kelly has won. 
Kelly will just have to be content with being Notre Dame's all-time winningest coach, which he barely got last year. It's just 113 up at the Fighting Irish. Can you believe that? Of course, Newt Rockney would have had a lot more if he hadn't died in the plane crash, uh, pretending to be a um, kamikaze driver. Uh, let's see, Mississippi State, Jackie Sherrill. Uh, I don't know how many of these he won legitimately. 74 wins. Right now, Mike Leach is 14, so he's only 60 behind. Uh, Leach could stay there another 10 years, and that could do it. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Uh, let's see. Da, da, da. What else we got here? Mississippi State Bulldogs. Uh, Leach is 61 years old. And next week, could decide to coach a Pop Warner team in Key West and be happy doing that. So he would have to average eight wins a year to pass Cheryl in 2029. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, take another sip here. I'm going to do a lot of fluids today because, like I said, I've been sitting my butt on the couch for most of the week. So. Don't have a lot of energy built up yet. Uh, Missouri. Uh, the leader is Gary Pinkle, 118 wins. Right now, Eli Drinkwitz has 12. Uh, Drinkwitz will do well to survive long enough to match Barry Odom's win total of 25 because it's a tough gig. And they just lost to what? Kansas State? Only 10 coaches in program history have won more than 15 games. And they're actually, SDS is saying... He could be fired this year. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think he'll be fired this year unless he keeps losing the rest of his games. Ole Miss, John Vault, the great John Vault, 190 wins, second only basically uh, to in the 60s. He was only behind Bear Bryant in the SEC as, as the good, the best coach. And back, frankly, when he was there in the 1950s, I think only Oklahoma won more games. Something like that. Oklahoma or Notre Dame, somewhere around there. But anyway, uh, John Vault, 190. Right now, Lane Kiffin has 18. Vaughn's record is forever safe, but Kiffin will move into the program's top 10 by October and crack the top five early in 2024. Hopefully he stays. Those numbers are modest. Hugh Freeze and Henry Muir, uh, yeah, that's the Muir that was also at Georgia, each have 39 wins at Mississippi. Billy Brewer, number two all-time with 66, well within Kiffin's reach. South Carolina, once again, it's Steve Spurrier with 86. Right now, Shane Beamer has eight. When Stoops passed the Bear in Kentucky, that meant Spurrier, the only coach with the most wins at two SEC programs. His SC total might be safer than his Florida total. Only two coaches in Gamecocks history have topped 50 wins. Huh. Tennessee, General Neyland, 173 wins. Because I mentioned Vault being the best behind you know, Bear Bryant, but before those guys, back in, I think, in the 20s and 30s, it was uh, Neyland, which is why they named the stadium after that. Uh, Josh Heupel has nine wins. Neyland's record is safe, but Heupel could climb into the top 10 by the end of next season. Butch Jones is number seven all time with 34. Only four coaches and Vols history have won more than 50. Huh. Uh, becoming the fifth is a reasonable expectation for Josh. Texas A&M, the leader is R.C. Slocum, underrated. 123 wins, right now Jimbo has a 35. 80-plus more wins in 10-plus more years, sure, the math works for uh, Fisher's favor, but the emotions of too many more upset losses in eight and four regular seasons certainly don't. A&M paid for championships, not mid-tier bowl trophies. They got rid of Kevin Sumlin for the same reason, and Sumlin is number five all-time in coaching wins with 51 in College Station. And as we pointed out Tuesday, put the first 50 uh, games coach there side-by-side, side, Sumlin's the better coach so far. Vanderbilt, 
The leader is the legendary, and if you don't know about this guy, look him up because he was he was huge. He's like Neyland uh, at the beginning of uh, Vanderbilt was a power at the beginning of college football. Dan McEugan, 197 wins. Uh, Clark Lee has four right now. Aside from exceeding Georgia Tech's 222-point total against Cumberland, this might be the most secure record in college football. <laughs> Vandy coaches number two through number seven on the all-time list combined to win 185 games, which was 12 shy of what McGugan did. Mm. Uh, now let's take a look at the important college football games starting tonight. We got one at least tonight and going all the way to Sunday. We got one on Sunday too, which is rare. Because usually once the NFL season starts, but hey. Uh, so tonight, September 16th, Friday, if you're listening to this today and not over the weekend, you got Florida State at Louisville and Air Force at Wyoming. So I'm going to go with Florida State. But then again, the way Norvell's been doing, uh, as soon as he does something great, he does something sucky down there in Tallahassee. But he's in Louisville. Louisville, not what it was last year with no more Desmond Ritter. Or no, women. Ritter's from Cincinnati. Sorry, I get Louisville, and I apologize to the Bearcats and the Cardinals, but I get those two mixed up a lot. Ritter was Cincinnati. You got Malik still there at uh, Louisville, which, frankly, he didn't look too good the other day when I watched him. Okay, here's some of the big games tomorrow, Saturday, September 17th. We'll go over here. Youngstown State at Kentucky. That should be a pretty easy one for the Wildcats, who are, are really good. By the way, once again, uh, I had a fever uh, Monday or Tuesday night when I put together the first peat poll and I said the whole time make sure you do not put Florida ahead of Kentucky and I put Florida ahead of Kentucky so I've since changed that Kentucky is ahead of Florida in the peat poll uh, Western Kentucky uh, at Indiana you got Georgia now number one at South Carolina I expect a, a decent game for a quarter and a half a quarter and a half and that's it Georgia will run away with it uh, UConn at Michigan Michigan should win that one really easily. Texas State at Baylor. Baylor will rebound after the loss to BYU. Oklahoma at Nebraska. Man, when I was a kid, this was the game. But uh, it was right up there with Ohio State and Michigan, uh, Auburn, Alabama, uh, Texas, Texas A&M. It was huge. Uh, not in, uh, Oklahoma will go in there and kill them, even though Nebraska will probably rally a bit since they've got the you know, assistant head coach, now the head coach, Scott Frost, being gone. Abilene Christian at Missouri. Missouri really needs to win that one. They cannot lose again to those guys. California at Notre Dame. <laughs> Frankly, who cares? New Mexico State at Wisconsin. The Badgers need to rebound. Georgia Southern, fresh off just killing Scott Frost's career at the Cornhuskers. Will be at UAB. Hopefully they don't have a letdown. Ole Miss at Georgia Tech. I said the other day this could be a trap game for Ole Miss. Uh, Georgia Tech had a good game last week against Western Carolina. Ole Miss is 2-0, but they're playing patsies. So well, this is a big test. Uh, even though you know, not a big test. Georgia, they should beat Georgia Tech easily, but it's here in Atlanta, and I don't know. BYU at Oregon. Two ranked teams, and uh, frankly, I'm going to go with BYU on that one. Penn State at Auburn. Auburn almost beat them up in Penn State. So I think Auburn will take this one. I really do. I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State wins, though. And, and by the way, if Penn State goes into Auburn and beats Auburn, Harson might as well get the moving van ready. It's, it's, they're not going to want to lose to those Yankees. Uh, let's see. Troy at App State. App State, yeah, you know, App State should roll over that after they just beat Texas A&M. Come on. 
I th- in fact, I think, uh, isn't game day or something? Not game day, but aren't they doing the game? I think uh, Kirk Herbstreet last night kind of pissed me off on the Amazon Thursday night thing. Him and Al Michaels were kind of mocking Boone, North Carolina and, and App State because uh, uh, Herbstreet was kind of, you know, acting like he didn't really want to be there this weekend like he's Mr. NFL now so this you know going to App State and Boone was just beneath him that was kind of like the attitude he was putting out there saying yeah I'll be tweeting you from there and uh you know Al was going like I mean I'm certainly not going to be there but uh dude if you don't do college anymore go to the pros go do NFL we'll find some place to replace you Kirk Herbstreet no problem Anyway, I uh, got Vanderbilt at Northern Illinois. Come on, you got to have the pride of the SEC there. UL Monroe against Alabama. <laughs> poor, poor bastards. Marshall, which is fresh off their upset of Notre Dame. Is it really an upset now? Uh, at Bowling Green. Let's see, I'm going to take a sip of the lineies. We got Liberty at Wake Forest. Good game there, but I think Wake will take it. Mississippi State at LSU. Who? Remember, that was a. Huge upset a couple years ago. Kind of started the ball rolling against Ed Orgeron. Uh, or was it, was that the one a few years ago that Mississippi State went in there and it started the ball rolling for less miles? Or was it Ed Orgeron? And it's starting to fade at this point. Anyway, Akron at Tennessee. The Vols should win that one easily, as we said earlier. Charlotte at Georgia State. Go GSU. Arkansas Pine Bluff at Oklahoma State, Cowboys easily. Missouri State at Arkansas, suey pig suey. Toledo at Ohio State, come on. Texas Tech at NC State, got to go with the Wolfpack. Michigan State at Washington, I think it'll be a tough game since it's out there, but you got to go, I think think Michigan State is actually ranked 11th in this poll. Washington's unranked, and I think Washington right now is a favorite. How the hell is that happening? Anyway, Pittsburgh at Western Michigan. I think Pitt will come back from the Tennessee loss. South Florida at Florida. Gators. Uh, is San Antonio at Texas. Well, you know Texas's history of uh, falling on their face when they shouldn't. But And let's face it, San Antonio plays everybody tough. We'll see. Louisiana Tech at Clemson. Come on, easily. Tigers. Miami of Florida at Texas A&M. This will be fun. This will be fun. I'm going to go with the Aggies here, but not by much. Not by much. Only because they're in College Station. If they were playing down in the heat and humidity of Miami, and if it had been raining, I think uh, Miami wins it pretty easily, frankly. And not saying that A&M people don't know about heat and humidity, but I'm just saying. San Diego State at Utah. I think Utah wins that one over my Aztecs. And Fresno State at Southern Cal. I'm going to go with Southern Cal. Even though, you know what? Let's go for an upset. I'm picking Fresno State to upset them. Bulldogs will uh, upset the Trojans. That's my big upset of the week. And on Sunday... Uh, we got Duquesne at Hawaii. I guess that's why it's a Sunday game because it technically is Sunday for the rest of us. So it's uh, Duquesne at Hawaii. So there's your college football big stuff. Let's go to the NFL news. Falcons visit the Rams in L.A. Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern time, looking to rebound after blowing yet another game to the Saints. Good luck playing a pissed-off Super Bowl champion on the road after they just got spanked by the Bills well over a week ago. So like Nixon, they're tanned, rested, and ready. This, I think the Falcons will play them closer than we think, but uh, the Rams will pull away at the end there. Uh, Just look at this as another step closer to Desmond Ritter. 
With Seattle star safety Jamal Adams out for the season, the Seahawks have pulled Tease Tabor from the Falcons practice squad. Tabor, a second-round pick of Florida in the 2017 draft, went to the Lions, poor bastard. Uh, spent two years there before going to San Francisco. Then he got hurt, played for the Bears a little bit, was on the Falcons practice squad this season. The interesting thing about Tease Tabor is that a couple nights ago, flicking around Netflix, uh, trying to find something else to watch, there's a show called Something About Your Money, How to Keep Your Money or Make Your Money or something like that. And it, what it does, it, it takes young money market managers and pairs them up with young people around 20-somethings around the country and it teaches them in different circumstances how to make money and save money. Well, Tease was one of the people because he had gotten a you know million dollars in his first contract and basically blew it. He was down to his last 200000 as he was saying, and he was looking to try and save some before he lost everything he had. And because he bought his mom a house, he bought him a house, you know, he just spent all the money right off the bat thinking he'd be playing for 10 years and making millions of dollars, and he wasn't. Well, hopefully he has turned it around. So I'm sitting there watching that uh, about him trying to turn his life around and everything, and then boom, he gets picked up. It was just kind of weird that the very next day that happened. Anyway, uh, tennis news here. Roger Federer retiring from pro tennis. He was 41 years old. A lot of knee operations, 20 Grand Slam titles, finished five seasons ranked number one, and was part of that golden era of men's tennis with Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic. He's third all-time among men players in the Grand Slams behind Nadal with 22 and Djokovic with 21. Djokovic probably would have 22 if he'd been allowed into the country, but we've talked about that. Uh, Federer leads 103-level titles, tour-level titles. 1,251 wins in singles matches, which is second only to Jimmy Connors in the Open Era, which began back in 1968. He's the oldest number one in history. At age 36, he got there. Uh, he had the most consecutive weeks there, which was e eclipsed by the Joker. Uh, his unrivaled 10 consecutive Grand Slam finals won eight of those from 2005 to 07. Uh, he won his first Grand Slam title at Wimbledon in 03. Pete Sampras held the men's record for titles at the time. The American had won his 14th at the U.S. Open the year before. That was the final match of his career. Federer were going to blow way past that, ending up with 20, won eight times at Wimbledon, six in Australia, five at the U.S. Open, and one at the French, mm, which made him complete the career Grand Slam. Had a great serve, forehand, footwork, and attacking style, in my opinion, I thought Sampras was the best ever until Federer came along, and I thought Federer did everything. I couldn't find one fault in his game. I'm sure you could if you looked hard. To me, he was the most complete up until his time. Federer was the most complete tennis player I'd ever seen. Now, he has since surpassed in power or agility or you know stuff like backhand or stuff like that by Djokovic and Federer. And it, but at any given day, if you put those guys each at age 25 in perfect health against each other, I think they just rotate as to who won that day, depending on how they felt that day and how much they'd partied the night before. Federer not being much of a partier uh, compared to maybe the other two. <laughs> but I'm telling you, I think those three were so close in talent that it just who would want it more that day. And uh, – Federer, to me, was the best I'd ever seen at that point. Uh, but it's still amazing that we were able to live uh, and see all that. That was so cool.
Golf news, the Live Tour Commissioner Greg Norman has been reading his Sun Tzu's Art of War, especially the part where if your enemy is making mistakes, get out of their way. Norman says they have no plans to sit down and work out a truce in the PGA Tour world. And here's his quote. We have no interest in sitting down with them, to be honest with you, because our product is working. Hmm. It was just about a year ago, but it looked like the Live Tour was on the ropes, didn't it? You couldn't get anybody big except for maybe Mickelson to come over, and everybody else was bitching and moaning about the Saudi Arabian money and everything like that. It just didn't. The PGA was all snotty looking down their nose and thinking, none of our big players are going to join Mickelson because he's washed up. You know? And then all of a sudden, the money started spreading around, and within six months, Greg Norman had turned it around, and now the Live Tour is on top, or at least seemingly on top. It's going to be interesting how this uh, plays out over the next three years. In fact, sooner than that, probably. Uh, chess news. The shocking defeat of one of the best chess players in the world has sparked uh, accusations of cheating. The sport is in a tailspin. Magnus Carlsen is a 31-year-old grandmaster chess player. Unbeaten, entering the Sinkfield Cup. I know I'm mispronouncing that. A, he lost to upstart American player Hans Niemann last week. That ended the player's 53-game winning streak. After the loss, Carlson tweeted he was withdrawing from the tournament sponsored by the St. Louis Chess Club. Now, Neiman, who's 19, faced accusations immediately of cheating. And here's how they said, okay, you're not going to believe this. I'm going to take a sip. This is what they claim he was doing. That he had vibrating, okay, if there are kids listening, make them go away. Uh, here's your warning. They said he had wireless vibrating anal beads. Which begs the question, what kind of Morse code would they be sending to signal complicated chess moves? There's no way you're sitting still. Not, not that I know, just from what people have told me. But anyway. Oh. Anyway, vibrating shoes too. They said they had a vibrating shoe. Tesla CEO Elon Musk even added to the controversy, tweeting that something was in Neiman's butt during the match. Hopefully he was just, you know, joking. Uh, he's denied cheating. I've never cheated in an over-the-board game. What does he mean by that? <laughs> this is the worst thing I could do, cheat in a tournament with prize money. You know, my dream came true. I lived my dream for a day beating Magnus, and then all this happened. What if the kid just did have a good day and the other guy had a bad day? And they immediately started calling him a cheater. And, and repercussions have started over just accusations. Uh, said so they've been anti-cheating measurements have been in place. And Neiman was frisked before the match. What did they give him a probe? <laughs> Neiman was 49 in the world. Carlson was number one. Neiman went on to finish seventh in the tournament after beating the number one guy. He has been banned from Chess.com and uninvited from the global championship over an accusation. No proof. Uh, I call my lawyer. Let's see. Uh, both were set to participate in the Julius Bear Generation Cup this weekend, which frankly should settle the issue once and for all since the Julius Bear Generation Cup plays by a different set of rules. During chess matches, your opponent can cut off one of your fingers if they capture one of your pieces. The match continues until one player no longer has enough digits to move the pieces on the board. And, of course, with those pieces sliding around with all the blood. And if you're caught cheating, your opponent gets to cut off the digit not on your hand. This may explain why girls these days are so good at chess, as according to that uh, 
the Gambit or whatever that was, that was on Netflix there for a while. Meanwhile, the National Rugby League of Australia has come down hard on Newcastle player Caitlin Moran, a female, banning her from uh, after a social media post following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Moran created headlines last week. Who, right after the Queen's death, she celebrated it with a since-deleted Instagram post. Uh, she has also uh, used a slur. Here's what her quote was. Today's a good effing day. Uncle Luke, which is a country singer, uh, Luke Combs, announced his tour, and this dumb dog, Queen Elizabeth, dies. Happy effing Friday. Okay? You can post anything you want, even without freedom of speech in Australia, but she's representing a team in the league. All right. Uh, the post was deleted after eight hours. Everybody still saw it, though. She was allowed to play over last weekend for Newcastle in a loss to the Sydney Roosters. <laughs> Why would they name a team Roosters that have women on it? But anyway, uh, they banned her for one match. Well, of course, everybody's screaming and hollering. Why? Because she's indigenous. What we used to call aborigine. Now it's in indigenous. Uh, let's see. She's also going to have to undergo education and training about the appropriate use of social media. I, she has every right to say what she wants about it, but she's going to pay a price. Uh, but here's my problem with her. She's indigenous, huh? Hmm. Take a look at her. I'm not saying she's not, okay? She's pale, freckled, and has red hair. If she passed you walking down the street, there's nothing that would jump out and make you think, Oh, she's indigenous. This woman could pass quicker than Meghan Markle. I'm not, I'm not joking. Come on. Imagine a white player calling an indigenous prime minister of Australia a dumb dog after the woman died in office. Just imagine, you'd probably get more than one game, don't you think? It's just, she's entitled to her opinion. Whatever. On this day, September 6th, I was going to say something else. She looks like a cartoon character, but I'm not going to say who because then everybody will raise, just go, I may, it depends. I may next show, I may say it. Uh, on this day, September 16th in 1869, golf's first recorded hole-in-one by Tom Morris. Don't say if it's old or young, Tom, at Prestwick's eighth hole in Scotland. Imagine how long golf had been around. Alexa, how old is the game of golf? Alexa, how old is the game of golf? While the modern game of golf originated in 15th century Scotland, the game's ancient origins are unclear and much debated. Alexa, stop. So okay, we're talking at least 1400s. It took 400-something years for someone to get a hole in one? Ah, uh, no. No. Uh, nay. 1937, Redskins uh, first play a game in Washington at Griffith Stadium. They beat the New York Giants 13-3. They had moved down from Boston. Uh, 1950, the Browns, formerly the AAFC, play their first NFL game and beat the Eagles 35-10. I think it was the Eagles. 1973, Buffalo's O.J. Simpson ran for a then-record 250 yards in Buffalo's win at New England. Birthday, September 16th. You got 1934, Elgin Baylor. Hall of Fame Ford, 11-time All-Star, born in Washington, D.C. He died last year. 1942, Dennis Conner. 
He was an American sailor, four-time America's Cup winning skipper in 74, 80, 87, and 88. Olympic bronze medalist in 76, was born in San Diego. I believe he was the guy who actually lost the America's Cup to uh, Australia or New Zealand uh, the first time we had lost it in 132 years. And it was him who lost it. And I think maybe it was him that went and got it back. I'm trying to remember if it was him. I mean, around the same time, Ted Turner had uh, kept our streak going too 1953 jerry pate was born uh, won the u.s open in 76 born here in macon 1955 robin yount uh, hall of famer for the brewers an mvp 82 and 89 had 3142 hits born in danville illinois he was a great shortstop and center fielder 1959 tim Raines, hall of fame left fielder seven-time all-star won world series in 96 98 and 05 nationally batting champion in 86 for the expos and yankees and white Sox. Uh, born in sanford florida mainly for the expos he beat the braves like a drum 1960 one of my favorite players had a look a, a complete erect standing up left-handed type swing look him up on youtube mickey tettleton was a catcher dh blah blah outfielder Great swing, played mainly for the Tigers, if I remember, and the Rangers. Born in Oklahoma City, loved the way he swung and had a lot of power. 1993, Bryson DeChambeau was born. Uh, won the U.S. Open a couple years ago. Born in Modesto, California. Uh, dead people on September 16th in 1951. Bill Clem, K-L-E-M, Hall of Fame umpire, had a record 18 World Series umpiring. Uh, dead of a heart attack, he was 77. In 1956, we lost Shorty Ray, football player and supervisor of NFL officials, dead at the age of 71. In 1993, the great pool player Willie Moscone, uh, the world championship pocket billiards from 1941 to 57. Better than Minnesota Fats, a lot, a lot of people said. Uh, he died of a heart attack. He was 80. He was in the slight beer from uh, Miller commercials, I believe. Uh, 2015, Bob Cleary, Hockey Hall of Fame center, won Olympic gold for America in 1960, uh, played at Harvard, dead at the age of 79. One wedding of note on this day, September 16, 1989, tennis player Yvonne Lindell was 29 when he married Samantha Frankel in Greenwich, Connecticut. I think uh, Lindell had become an American citizen. Alexa, who was Yvonne Lindell married to? Here's something I found on the web. According to Northwood.edu, Yvonne is married to Mayo P. Uh-oh. I think it didn't last. Oh, makes me sad. All right, let's see what we got here. Uh, Pete's tweets. Dun, 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 dun. Eric Gould says, when Albert Pujols is going to swing away at number 700, let's hope he gets it, Major League Baseball will introduce specially and individually marked baseballs to assure they can identify the historic ball wherever it lands. They're doing this also for Aaron Judge as he nears 61. That's uh, pretty smart. Juan Soto is not having a Juan Soto year. People talk about Acuna not having a lot of power this year. Soto's not doing almost anything this year uh, compared to Juan Soto. And they say it's a very deep slump and got to wonder what's going on with him. Uh, to you know, that's not a good time to do it when you're looking for that big, big, big lifetime contract there. Uh, let's see what else we got sports wise. Albert Pujols has become the third player in MLB history to reach 2,200 career RBIs, and according to Codify, the most career runs batted in. You got Hank Aaron at 2,297, Babe Ruth at 2,213, and Albert at 2,200. 
uh, Barrett Sully reporting the college football playoff national championship on January 9th of 2023 will now kick off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time instead of 8.20 Eastern time. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm trying to find something else sports-wise. And it's if you're here in Atlanta and you love Zestos, you, we, we lost the one on Ponce, which was a really update, modern-looking one. It was pretty cool, but it was a retro-type thing. God, there's nothing like a chubby Decker, and they're shakes to die for. There's been one in Little Five Points. I think it's still there if you're here in Atlanta, but there's been one on Piedmont. I think I went to one on Piedmont once in my life. It always looked a little seedy, but then again, it was, that's the way it was supposed to look and anything. It's been there since, gosh, 1952 it's been been either there or close by at piedmont and Lindbergh. they're closing it on sunday they're closing it because they've sold the property or someone else has bought the property or whatever so if you're in the neighborhood this weekend down there at piedmont near Lindbergh, you know where the zestos is stop by and uh gosh it makes me actually want to drive down there and get one right now <laughs> oh Gosh, they were so good. Those hamburgers are so good. Uh, what else? That seems to be it on that. All right, let's go to this date in baseball history, September 16, 1922. After listening to excessive bench jockeying from the New York Giants dugout, Reds pitcher Adolfo Luque becomes so enraged, he throws down his glove and bolts into the dugout. The Cuban native, known for his fiery temper, punches Casey Stingle in the jaw and is ordered to return to his bench by the police, who are busy trying to prevent the Polo Grounds crowd from rioting. <laughs> mm. Sorry. 1940, Leo DeRocher suspended from Ebbets Field for inciting a riot. A lot of that going on back then. 1948, Joe DiMaggio's 300th homer is the only run yielded by Detroit starter Fred Hutchinson in a win over New York at Briggs Stadium. The Yankee Clipper joined Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Mel Ott, Jimmy Fox, two X's, Rogers Hornsby, Chuck Klein, and Hank Greenberg as the eighth major leaguer to get to 300. 1951, the U.S. National League umpire Frank Descoli cleared the Dodgers bench, ejecting 15 players. <laughs> September 16th of 53. A fact-finding committee appointed by the American League approves the relocation of the St. Louis Browns, but doesn't say which city they can go to. Huh. Uh, Bill Veck had wanted to go to Baltimore, which he eventually will do. 1960, or somebody will. The Browns will go there at some point. 1960, Warren Spahn pitched a no-hitter, beat the Phillies at County Stadium for zip. He was 39 years old, his 20th win of the season. Tenth time he got to 20. 1968, American League President Joe Cronin fired umpires Al Salerno and Bill Valentine, saying their incompetency uh, was why. They claimed the firings were due to their efforts to organize the junior circuit arbitrators into a union. 1972, Glenn Beckert went 0 for 6 in the Cubs' 18-5 win over the Mets at Wrigley. Glenn, poor Glenn, left 12 men on base to set the major league mark. Boy, you talk about just wanting to go jump off a cliff after that. Uh, the second baseman stranded the bases loaded in the first and seventh, left two runners on twice when he batted two times in the team's seven-run third, failed to plate the other teammates in the fifth and seventh. Unbelievable. And he was a good player. Uh, September 16th, 1975, uh, Rennie Stennett, uh, who passed away in the last year or so, uh, tied the Major League record set in 1892 with a 7-for-7 seven seven performance in a nine-inning game. Got two hits in one inning twice. Uh, 
Uh, the Bucks won 22 to nothing over the Cubs at Wrigley, the most one-sided shutout since 1900. 1979 at Yankee Stadium, the Bombers hold Catfish Hunter Day to honor their future Hall of Fame pitcher who retired at the end of the season at age of just 33. A 20-year-old lefty named Dave Rigetti made his major league debut. 1988, the Reds' Tom Browning pitches the first perfect game in franchise history. Struck out eight and allowed only eight balls to leave the infield in a 1-0 win over the Dodgers. At one point, the 28-year-old lefty retired 40 straight batters, one shy of the major league record. 1995, Greg Maddox of the Braves, a record 17 consecutive road victories. 1996, September 16th, a fifth-inning triple off Royals lefty Jose Rosado gave Twins Paul Molitor his 3,000th hit, the first major league to do it with a triple. Hmm. Now, 2005, Yupi who got his start at Olympic Stadium, is named the first official mascot of the Montreal Canadiens of the NHL, the first to switch from MLB to the Hockey League. Hmm. Uh, the Canadians bought him for six figures. Uh, it made it possible the Expos could leave the hairy orange arm-waving giant behind in favor of an eagle called Screech when they moved to D.C. and became the Nats. And in 2007, in a dramatic at-bat, Jim Tomey became the third major leaguer that season and 23rd overall to hit 500 career home runs. Uh, September 16, 2007, Washington announces the press box in Nationals Park uh, will be named the Shirley Povich Media Center in honor of the late Hall of Fame baseball writer. Covered the uh, sport for the Washington Post uh, from the Senators' first World Series championship in 1924 until his death in 1998. Of course, he's the father of Maury Povich. 2008, Derek Jeter became the all-time hits leader uh, at the soon-to-be-demolished Yankee Stadium, surpassing Lou Gehrig, 1,270 at-bats at the 85-year-old ballpark. And in 2009, September 16th, the Tigers paid tribute to 91-year-old Ernie Harwell, their longtime broadcaster from 1960 to 2002, who had revealed he had inoperable cancer. During a 4-3 win over Kansas City, a ceremony in the third inning included a three-minute video tribute followed by the Hall of Fame announcer thanking the admiring and supportive fans attending the game at Comerica Park. Thanks to the Daily Mail, Saturday Night South, ESPN, On This Day, National Pastime, Fox News, and everybody else that helped me out on this lovely show today. And da, 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 let me see if we missed anything on Twitter. Uh, boop, 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 boop. Mm, no, that's not uh, that's not sports. So we'll keep moving. Keep moving. No, 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 no. Not seeing a lot of stuff going on. Um, you know, doesn't seem like a lot going on at the moment. So what we will do is switch over to ESPN. See if there's a headline. And then I'll let you go for the weekend. And like I said, hopefully everybody and thing will be back uh, to normal on Monday, both here and at the Kimmer Show. Kimmer did the show by himself with Flounder today. It was very entertaining. Uh, uh, quarterback uh, Justin Herbert of the Chargers, who got hurt last night. Frankly, they should have pulled him from the game. Uh, got a rib injury. Hopefully it's not too serious. <laughs> he, he made an incredible touchdown pass or a long pass after – he uh, got hurt, which was just absolutely amazing. And that seems to be it. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. Stay safe. And uh, once again, thanks for all the uh, thoughts and prayers sent my way. And uh, appreciate it. It helped. 
and uh, t-shirts, farmhouseprintingco.com. And drink up, Shriners. Howdy, Todd.